Well, good morning, everybody. Thanks, band. It's good to be here. Oh, my goodness, it's been. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to uh, Philippians 4. We'll be studying there today. Uh, it's so good to be back. Man, this is how much I love being with you guys. We, we were just gone for one week last week for Christmas, uh, Christmas Thanksgiving, and uh, I, I've been like, man, I miss you guys, and so it's good to be back. Uh, my parents put all of us, all 22 of us in the family, graciously on a cruise for three days which there were a couple of moments that the whole crew, the whole like family dynamic held by a thread with 22 folks, um, but, but God is good. We were still talking to each other, and um, it, was, it was a really, really fun time. Um, and I heard, I heard Thanksgiving celebration was a lot of fun, so, but it's good to be back. Uh, so Philippians 4 is where we're looking, and, uh, and we're going to be continuing our series here uh, looking at, at joy. Uh, Paul's main theme throughout this whole book has been there's joy uh, to be found in all things and at all times. We've been talking about how there's joy in, in living in humility, joy in, in not grumbling, not complaining. Today we've come to the topic of joy in generosity. Now, a uh, little confession here. I'm skipping a chapter uh, to, to come to today's topic because it's a great parallel to what we just launched, the Impact Initiative of 2018. Uh, Paul here at the end of the letter really talks about generosity, the joy in giving generously. And I figured, oh man, this can't be coincidence that we happen to be here in, the, in this book talking about these things while we also are getting ready at this time of the year to be launching this uh, as a church, to be looking to give outwardly and looking to give to the needs of those around us through uh, a fund like this. Uh, so we're going to be considering that today. Um, so we're going to be looking at Philippians 4, verses 10 through 20. Let me read this and then we'll pray. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. This is Paul writing, of course, to the Philippian church. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to be to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just ask that you would be here and you would guide this time through your spirit, that we would learn from you. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when Cindy and I, uh, you know, when we, about a year before we, we started, you know, before Current started meeting uh, formally, um, we attended what's called a uh, planter, uh, church planner's assessment. Okay, church planning is a term uh, used for uh, church startups, which is another way people describe it. And the assessment for church planners or would-be church planners is when a group of experts, a group of leaders, both in the church, uh, maybe pastors or, or lay leaders, and outside of the church, uh, you know, business people who have experience in the church kind of come together to determine the readiness of a would-be church planner 
or would-be church planning couple. Does that make sense? So they're just grilling down on you in all areas of life. They're talking about your marriage, if you're married. They're talking about your personal habits. They're talking about the Bible and theology, the vision of the church that you think, you know, you, you feel called to, to plan, all that sort of stuff. The reason I go into this is because they're related to the topic we're looking at today. There's two things through going through this process that kind of stuck out to me. The first came when there was a group of church planners from all over the country uh, just kind of gathered in the spot, and they were all wrestling with this idea of how is this going to work financially? Like, how do churches, like, you know, from scratch get up and going? It's like the big question. How is this going to work? And one of the guys there talking about it had already moved his family from the Midwest to the inner city of L.A., and he was wrestling with the thought of, like, oh, my goodness, how is this going to work? Like, I always knew that I was moving into an area that doesn't have the financial means of other areas per se, but, boy, I just, I'm trying to figure this out. Like, I don't know what this means. Uh, as he was talking, I was thinking about it from, you know, the perspective of thinking about planting in the Silicon Valley, you know, in an area that has a lot more financial means. Still, there's the very real issue of how are you going to get up and going financially? You know, how is that going to work? Um, you know, because it was interesting. At one point, uh, a couple of them were like, oh, my goodness, guys, we're, we're moving to an area where, uh, you know, can you believe it? House prices are $500,000 where we're moving. And I'm sitting there listening. I'm like, mm, biting my tongue. I'm like, boy, I'm not, not going to be that guy who says, okay, 500000 Anyways, um, and I'm just, but it's, so it's a really issue. But here's what, what struck me. And I'm, I'm not one to be, you know, kind of over-spiritualize things or, or whatever, but I, I almost feel, I, I'm pretty confident that I feel like this is something that God, God was moving in my heart in this moment. When I was listening to this guy who had already moved his family, he's all figuring this out in, in L.A., I was thinking about, oh, my goodness, if and when, God willing, we make it as a church in the Silicon Valley where we feel called to be a part of, then we have to, our faith demands that we steward what God is doing in this area financially. Doesn't that make sense? Like, if this area is so plush, if I can use that word, then if, if we are a body of Christians following Jesus, taking that seriously, then that has to uh, affect how we see things financially. In other words, I was just like, my goodness, we have to be a church that is generous. We have to be a church that's generous. So that was the one thought that kind of struck me in that, in that assessment time. The other one, and this is much shorter, uh, came at the very end when they were kind of passing judgment on us. They said, David and Cindy, you have the green light to go. Okay, good. Green light to go ahead and plant. Said, but David, there's something we want to impress upon you. Okay, what's that? You need to grow in. You need to be more willing to talk about money. And I thought that was so interesting. And, and I, a little ironic, too, because here I'm sitting there like wrestling with the thought of God saying, hey, this is a part of your calling. And number two, them saying, you need to grow in this area. You need to be bold and talk about this topic. Uh, but it didn't surprise me because I'm a son of church uh, uh, leaders. My, 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 my dad was a pastor, and I've been a pastor for a number of years. And although, and I'm going to say this, you know, in the spirit, hopefully you can understand, although this is not a profession you go in for money, talking about money can almost feel like a little self-serving, right? Does that make sense? You following me? So that's why I've had a little bit of a, okay, that issue. And the other thing is I've, I've, I was raised and, uh, and uh, much of my uh, early adulthood, adulthood adulthood, was spent in Berkeley, which Berkeley is known for not being very happy towards organized religion, and we start to get about, you hear where I'm coming from? And they said, David, we understand all of that, but realize Jesus talked about money just about more than anything else. Actually, it was number two on his list. The number one thing, the kingdom of God. Everything else he talked more, 
I looked into this week. He talked about, in all his teachings, 15% of what he talked about included finances, money, generosity, greed. Why? Because there's a fundamental connection between our faith, between the faith, and how we use and how we view finances. We might want to separate the two, but God says you can't do it. At one point, Jesus even said so bluntly, he said, you cannot serve both God and money. I shared a thought with you kind of based on some data uh, uh, survey uh, a couple weeks back, and I know it made an impression because I haven't had, uh, this is the most sought after thought, like, hey, give me that reference. One person wanted to use this reference in a presentation that he's about to make at at Google, actually. He said, I'd love to take this in and, and help make a point in my presentation. I knew it made an impression because people were coming up and asking about it, and it's this thought. According to certain measures, Silicon Valley is the richest part of the U.S., while at the same time being the most miserly. Falling near dead last in per capita charitable giving. Now that is a thought, that is some data, that is a data point that should embarrass us a little bit and maybe even shame us a little bit. What is the solution? If we are to be generous in church, if we're to lead out in this, what what are we to do? What is the calling? How is this to, to make sense? That's what I love about the text that we just read today. Paul is talking to the Philippian church. He's talking to us through the Philippian church down the ages. He's saying, if you want to be generous like, you, like God calls you to be, you need to understand this. And what he doesn't do is a drive-by guilting. He doesn't come by and say, you better do it. You better give generously. And if you don't, just understand you're a bad person. You feel bad, which, frankly, maybe we'd expect, right? Does nothing like that. You know what he does? He's basically the opposite he says, if you want to really understand generosity and giving generously like we know we should be and uh, we know we should live as, you know, especially as, as Christians, it's like you need to understand the key ingredient is joy. Is joy, which hopefully doesn't surprise you. That's been our series, right? We're going through Philippians. It's a book talking about joy. Well, here Paul says, if you want to understand generosity and living this life, you need to understand that generosity is intricately connected to joy. It burrs within us joy. It produces joy. It, it, it's, it's, it's surrounded by joy. How can that be? We're going to look at four thoughts uh, quickly together. Um, the first one is, if I can find it, uh, giving generously uniquely binds us to others. Okay, where's the, what's the, where's the joy and generosity? It, it's in a unique, it has a unique way of binding us to others in terms of relationship. There's nothing else like it when we give tangibly. Uh, Paul opens this letter and is by saying, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. That's one of Paul's favorite words, concern. He uses it again two times in that, in that little short uh, paragraph. He's constantly thinking about the relational component. We have now come to the, the practical reason for why Paul is writing this letter. Okay, if you've been with us over the last several weeks as we've, as we've been looking at Philippians, we know that he's had a number of things that he's want to talk to the church about. But here, practically speaking, is the reason why he wrote this letter, and that is essentially to thank the Philippian church. They gave him, they, they wrote him a check, in other words, and they provided for his needs. And the result of that is Paul has had this unique relationship and they with him that he doesn't express or we don't feel, he doesn't emote in any of the other letters that he writes to the other churches, which, by the way, we have about this much text in the Scripture of. 
the Corinthian church, the Ephesian church, all these other churches, Philippians alone have a very special place, and it's because they have given tangibly to him. In fact, at one point, he even says, as you guys know, this is verse 15 and 16, in the early days of our acquaintance with the, go- with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, that's the province where the, the Philippian church is, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving ex- except for you. You alone sent me aid, and, and more than once. So they had this unique place. And we've seen this as we've been going through the book of Philippians. For instance, very early on, chapter 1, verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you, Paul says. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then verse 7 of chapter 1, it is right for me to feel this way about you. All of you, since I have you in my heart, all of you share in God's grace with me. Why? The only reason we're given is because they tangibly showed their love by giving generously to him financially. And because of that, they had this relationship like no other. Uh, I think we all understand this, right? When we give and we receive, there's something u- uniquely special that binds us relationally. Others. If you've ever, have, you've ever gotten a good gift or something like that, you, you know this feeling. Uh, recently, it was my birthday, and a, a number of buddies went together without me knowing, and they got me this, this really nice gift. It was one of those things of, David, hey, come over here. And I went over there. I didn't know what was going on. I was milling other, other things, and they're all kind of around in a circle. And I said, David, hey, and there's this box, this gift box. And I look at it. I open it up. It is this sweet foam speaker. And I'm sitting there like, I almost lost it emotionally, okay? And it's not because the, the speaker is sweet, although the speaker is sweet enough to make you want to lose it. But never mind. I almost lost it emotionally because in that moment, I was like, oh, my goodness, because they gave tangibly, generously like that. I mean, it's not a small gift, even for a group of them. As just, there's a moment there where it's like, oh, my goodness. There's, you, you've felt that before. And even if that speaker were to break tomorrow, that interaction, that relationship wouldn't change at all. You, you following me? If, that, if it's that way for giving and receiving of just gifts and that sort of thing, how much more in terms of giving generously towards the work of God? Um, uh, there are a number of people uh, who, and you've heard this o- over, the, over the Sundays and we've talked about this, there are a number of people who have given generously to current because of the mission they believe is happening here and they believe in it. There's one gentleman who is part of a church uh, visiting and and and. It's amazing to me. We kind of met over kind of random circumstances. I kind of, he was asking about the church plant that we're starting. This was about a year before we started. I was sharing with them. They came along board and they started uh, supporting us financially. I remember at one point, uh, we were, uh, I was figuring, I, I was, it was starting to dawn on me that in the Silicon Valley, thinking about all this stuff financially, that what it means is, you know, uh, you're going to have to be a portable church. Facilities don't grow on trees. You're going to have to be portable. You're going to have to be mobile. It's going to take that. You're going to have to have a trailer to bring the stuff. And there's not storage units and all that. So I was just, all that was dawning on me. I was like, truck. We need a truck. Okay, we need to tow that. You, you see how my mind works, okay? And um, so anyways, I, I was in the, that very week when we had pulled the strings to like find, like, how are we going to pay for a truck to pull a truck? How are we going to do it? We had gotten, we had gotten a lead on a truck that we're like, we don't know how to do it by faith. We know this is what we got to do. It was essentially that day that this missions pastor of this church called me up and said, hey, you know, budget-wise as a church, we're doing okay, and we're going to send you another check. He's like, here's the amount. And it was essentially the exact amount as the truck. I mean, 
it was, I'm just like, and here's why I share that story. Uh, he and I, this is the missions pastor there, and I've gotten to know other people at their church. It's, it's amazing. Their church is so encouraging in, in, in many respects. He, you would never know that we've only seen each other or talked on the phone the number of times we have, which is plenty. But our relationship, in, 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 from my perspective, is a lot more deeper than, a lot deeper than that. You, you following me? Because there's this relationship bind that we, it's partnership in the gospel. They believe in what God is doing here, and they are tangibly supporting it generously. There is a reason why we talked about giving gifts to Freedom House over the last few years. This, this organization that is in the, in the business of uh, providing hope, healing, restoration, and new life to survivors of human trafficking in this area. There's a reason why I, and I imagine a lot of you, think about this organization, Freedom House, a lot more than we would otherwise think about it. It's because we are tangibly invested. Or, for instance, we had the pictures of the folks up in Na- the fire in the Napa, you know, up there in Napa and the, the, the church there in Houston. I'm thinking about these pastors by name. We had the, their name of a couple families up there. There's, there's something that happens when we tangibly support, when we tangibly generously give. When, and Paul says that. That's, that's the joy that's happening, verse 15, in the matter of giving and receiving. Second thought, there's joy and generosity because giving generously gives us the opportunity to see God move. We get to see him show up and, and move powerfully. Uh, let's be clear about some things. You know, the Philippian church, it might be easy to think, oh, man, these guys were loaded. Like, they just gave out of their excess. That's probably what happened. They came across a nice Christmas bonus. They figured out how to use most of that bonus for themselves and all that sort of thing. And then out of the leftover, they said, you know what, let's give this to Paul. Um, that's not the case. We know from this scripture we're looking at here, we know from other scriptures that Paul's talking about the Philippian church about, uh, to another church about the Philippian church, that they gave, and what the, the word we have here in verse 18, sacrificially. They gave a sacrifice. You know, back in the day, way back in the day, the, the Israelites, the ancient Israelites, they'd bring grain, they'd, be, they'd bring animal sacrifices, and this was not, don't think 21st century, hey, this is, I'm just going to give you, think, oh my goodness, this is part of their livelihood that they're bringing. Says a sacri- acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. In the other uh, uh, passage of Scripture, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, modern-day Greece, about the Philippians. And here's what he says. He, he, he talks about the extent in which they, this, the Philippian church was generous. Okay? And I imagine he didn't talk about how, like, explicitly how generous the Philippian church was being to them directly because he didn't want to puff them up. He didn't want to tempt them to be self-righteous about it. But with the Corinthian church, he's, you know, he's like, guys, you need to understand what this Philippian church did. Here's 2 Corinthians 8. And now, brothers and sisters, again, talking to the Corinthians, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Macedonia, again, he's talking about the Philippians. That's the province they live in. In the midst of their very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded, exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. Let me ask you a question. Verse 2. How do severe trial, overflowing joy, extreme poverty, and rich generosity all fit together? In one little verse. 
Giving isn't the luxury of the rich. It's the privilege of the poor. The Philippians refused to let hard circumstances keep them from, from joy. In fact, in verse 4, it says they urgently pleaded with Paul to allow them the privilege to give. Why would they have to plead to give? Probably because Paul was saying, guys, you're not doing all that well financially. Guys. And they said, don't you dare take away this privilege from us, Paul. Don't you dare take away this honor of allowing us to give sacrificially to what God is doing in and through you. In hard circumstances aside, they had joy. Have you ever experienced joy in this front? Boy, any time I've gone over, you know, to, to, to a third world country with, with Christians there, a little church, I am always blown away by the level of generosity that they have. I mean, they're always throwing big banquets, huge, you know, I mean, bear with me here, like pieces of meat, which is hard to come by. I remember the first time I went, I was like 16 in high school. I was like, oh, this is cool. I mean, it's good food. It was like a month's worth of wages. And learning about that, and then later going back, I just floored by their generosity. And yet they never do it pretending to be joyful. They always do it just elated with joy. If you've ever experienced that. I have a buddy. Oh, well, let me say this thought. The promise here then is verse 19, that when we give, God will meet all your needs according to the riches of the glory in Christ Jesus. We get to see God show up when we give generously. I have a buddy who is a very, uh, very well-respected uh, person in this field, um, very gifted leader, incredible business mind, but behind the scenes, he and his wife every year make a budget. And they, they, they decide, okay, this is how much we can give to God's work, to, to doing things, you know, that, that, that sort of thing. Um, and they budget specifically beyond what they're able to do, okay? That's what they do. And then, after coming up with that number, they add a little bit to it. And I was sitting there like, okay. And he's just like, and it was, it was so, you know what stood out in this conversation with this guy? He was giddy about it. Giddy. He's like, you know, he's like this well-respected dude. He's like, and we get to do this, and every single time we see God show up. He always exceeds our expectations. We cannot outgive God. God is the generous God. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the scriptures speak. And what he desires from us is just to follow him in faith that we might see him show up. And you know what? When you get to do that, you have the story of God showed up. God showed up. It wasn't just me making money and, you know, or, you following me? We get to see God show up. Um, it gets better. Number Third thought, there's joy and generosity because giving generously yields the best ROI, the best return on investment, period. Verse 17, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Here's a literal translation of that thought. I desire the fruit increasing to your account. Allow me to get technical here for a second. The word fruit in a financial sense means advantage, gain, profit. Here's what one writer said. It's not going to be on the board there. Uh, by combining this term with the financial sense of account, Paul speaks in the language of an investments manager. He desires continuous increasing profits, daily compounding interest, and accumulating dividends for the, for the Philippians' account. Now, we live in a culture that gets investing, right? 
I mean, there are literally thousands of high-tech headquarters right in a 10-mile radius of where we're standing, sitting, standing. And all the startups and all that, if there's a culture that gets investing, we get investing. And Paul is saying, invest in things that will last, that, you, that, that will have the best return. Listen to how Jesus put it. In Matthew 6, he, says, he said, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Here's what's so fascinating about Jesus. He's not saying, hey, it's unholy to think about investing. He's not saying, oh, that's, that's an unrighteous way to think. Holy people, pious people, they don't think about such things. Actually, he goes for it. He says, store, he's commanding it. He's saying, store up for yourselves treasures. Just don't do it in the wrong place. We can't take, you know, the, the bumper sticker. I always love the responding bumper sticker, which is usually not on a Porsche. It says, he who has the most to- toys still dies. <laughs> you know, the Porsche, anyways, you got it. Um, listen to how one uh, Christian author puts this. He said, God expects and commands us to act out of self enlightened self-interest. He wants us to live for his glory. But what is to his glory is always to our good. Quoting another writer, he says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Selfishness is when we pursue gain at the expense of others. But God doesn't have a limited number of treasures to distribute. When you, distor- when you store up treasures for yourself in heaven, it doesn't reduce the treasures available to others. In fact, it is by serving God and others that we store up heavenly treasures. Everyone gains no one loses. Jesus is talking about deferred gratification. In other words, present joy happens through anticipating future joy. God wants us to have joy and understanding that we're sending things forward. Godly, generous giving in this life will store up for us treasures in heaven. I, I had the opportunity to meet with another uh, uh, family friend who's supporting current from the early days I won't go into all of it, but basically, a couple, just right before the Thanksgiving break, we got together um, from a low-income neighborhood. Uh, he was telling me about how his house had just gotten broken into, but don't worry, insurance is going to cover, you know, that sort of stuff. I was asking him about how he's doing, his retirement's coming up, and he said, oh, man, God's taking care of me in retirement. You know, I, had an, I made an investment a couple years back. Uh, it was foolish. It was re- everybody was saying, don't make this investment, Al. And he said, but I wasn't making it for financial reasons. I had a buddy who was asking me to invest, and I just, I just I felt like I, I should give to him and just help him out. And I just knew giving this amount was never going to come back. But I just, I had, that's the kind of guy this guy was, okay? Um, and, but he told me, he said, it was amazing. Like the other week, he called me up, this guy out of nowhere. I'd written him off for years and years. He said, hey, the investment paid off. You're gonna, you're, and he's like, so God's taking care of me. Okay, so he's excited about that. And then he asked about the church current, what's happening here? We're sharing some stories of what God's been doing. Lives change, people coming to know Jesus, and he started to tear up. There had been joy when he was talking about that retirement investment. There was limitless joy when he was hearing about the investment that he had made in God's work. That's the joy we're talking about here. That's the one that we carry on to the next life. Last thought, there's joy in generosity because in giving generously, we become more like the people we were called to be. Verse 19 and 20, God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory 
in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, what's this whole deal with glory? It's funny. I have different things in my notes here than what I'm going to share right now. I was reading a a devotional book to my six-year-old son last night, and it just happened to be about glorifying. Okay, what's that word glorifying mean? It was really helpful. Anytime these books are talking to like six-year-olds, it's so much more helpful to us as adults, humbly speaking. They just break it down like, oh, that's what it means. Um, And they're saying the the word glorify really means to make a big deal of. And what are the things that we make a big deal of? We, it, it, those things fill us with joy. They fill us with joy. And then they ask the question, does God need us to glorify him? Does he need our joy? So what's going on? No, he doesn't. In the beginning, God had everything he needed. He had all the joy that he could ever want in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Perfect, limitless joy. He didn't create us to get joy from us. He created us so that he could share his joy with us. And when it says we get to glorify him, we bring him glory, he's inviting us into the thing that our hearts most need and want, and that is joy. He invites us into it. Why do we give up something? Why do we give up a lot? Why do we sacrificially give towards something, as we've been talking about? It's always for the sake of gaining something better, is it not? That's the reasoning. You give up so that you can gain something. This is all about, this is all for, this is all because of God. The very, I just talked about the glorifying. Look at verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that you Philippian church gave. He doesn't say, I rejoice greatly that you gave me this check, Philippian church. He doesn't start this whole thing off by saying, I rejoice greatly because, hey, we have a great relationship now. He's happy about all those things. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. This is all because of God. He has made this possible. He is why we can do this. Listen to how Paul, writing to another church, describes what Christ has done for us. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. This is Ephesians 5, verse 2. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Uh, Christ sacrificed himself for us. Uh, 2 Corinthians says it probably even more straightforward. For you know the grace, our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Why did God, why did Jesus give up everything? What was his greater treasure? You and I. And so, and this is the point of this whole message, we give because God first gave to us. Look, we don't, we, we give out of a reaction. Our giving generously is, is, a rea- is, is reflexive to what God has done for us. We don't give because it's, you know, the philan- you know out of it's a sense of philanthropy and, you know, altruism and that sort of thing. We give because of the transforming work of Christ in us. And according to His glory of riches in us. That's why we give, and we give out of response. He, because He first gave everything we, and we now have everything in him, we now give. That's why we're doing this impact initiative. This, this 2018 impact initiative, we want to, by faith, collectively as a church, as individuals, as families, whatever, we want to by faith say, God, you know, even before we're up and going, we want to somehow, we just want to live for you, even with our finances. 
We want to tr- live, gen- we want to put it into our DNA even while it doesn't make sense on paper. Because our faith demands, compels us to live for others. Especially in an area like this. But can you believe, can we just imagine for a second if we start to live more and more in our, you know, and, you know, this is how awesome would this be? It kind of spreads out. It's, it's contagious generosity. This, the, our society gets caught up in this current, if you will. What I love about what Paul is saying here is, do you notice, he never says anything about a number. You know, there's no guilting here. He doesn't do any of that. You know, we have the number up there. Hey, we're going to shoot for $15,000 this year. Um, it's, you guys understand, it's good to have a number up there to aim for and all that stuff. But to me, that's not the real goal. I mean, that's a great goal. We'll, we'll praise God if we hit it and all that sort of thing. But that's not the real goal. The, the goal is that we as a church generously give to others. Um, as a church of body, as we individually think about what, what God has given us and how we can give to him, it might stretch us a little bit, but we get to see God show up and all these understandings. Why? Because God gave to us. And we want to be a church that because he gave to us, we're giving out of ourselves to others. Let's pray.